start a new series today, and it's called Enough, and it's a stewardship series, and I hope that you pour yourself into it, just to see what God might do through it. And so we're going to spend the next four weeks working through enough, and then we're going to celebrate for a couple of weeks on some consecration Sundays, and then we're going to have another couple of weeks of gratitude leading into Thanksgiving to set our hearts right on thanking God and being grateful for all that we have. And so we're going to begin with three verses, uh, the first from 1 Timothy chapter 6, the Common English Bible, and it reads as Paul wrote, Some have wandered away from the faith and have impaled themselves with a lot of pain because they made money their goal. And from Ecclesiastes 5, The money lover isn't satisfied with money, neither is the lover of wealth satisfied with income. This too is pointless. And from Matthew 16, why would people gain the whole world but lose their lives? What will people give in exchange for their lives? The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So four weeks, we're going to talk about enough and stewardship and finances, and everyone said, yay, right? Everybody gets excited and stewardship. We're not only going to talk about your finances, we're going to talk about resources, what God gives you, and then how we can have the right relationship because God gives you these things so that you can participate in life, capital L, life, as Jesus brings to us. And it's meant to be for our benefit, for our good, and for the good of everyone around us. And so we start today with the American dream. The American dream something we, we hold up and we aspire for, but the American dream, although it characterizes us as a people, as a group, as people that look and say, that's our flag. This is, uh, it started as something a few hundred years ago, almost, maybe not that long. It started as a pursuit for freedom, for life, for liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Yeah. And it began with people who weren't finding that where they were. They were being mistreated by leaders. They were being forced to observe particular religious things that they didn't want to be a part of. And what they sought was a land, a place where they could find freedom so that they could have life and liberty, the pursuit of happiness. And our heritage has been for hundreds of years that people can come, send your poor, your hungry. Send them because this is the place where they can find life, liberty, and happiness. Now we know the story has its bumps and its ups and downs. And we know the stories of people exploiting the opportunities here, creating things such as slavery, creating problems. Um, that's in our history too. So we think of the American dream and what it means for us today, and I'm afraid what it has become is nothing like life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, except that our pursuit of happiness is the pursuit of stuff. We want the latest, the greatest, the biggest, and the best. We want to look like we have it together. Is it, am I just preaching to myself? Anyone with me on this? All right, maybe a few. We have this idea that we want to gain more, 
and then we want to gain more. And if we could just gain a little more, then, then we'll find the happiness that we want. And then we get there and we say, oh, well, I didn't know about this. I want a little more. Maybe if I get here. Oh, and then what do you know? I used to think, well, if we just made X amount of dollars more than we do now, we'd be set. And then started making that. And guess what? I started spending even more as well. And anyone with me on that? Yeah. And we've come to identify ourselves by the things we possess or maybe the things that possess us. We want immediate material pleasure where we used to want joy and happiness and life and liberty. The love of money. Not money. Money's not the root of evil. The love of money is the root of evil. And we, we pretty much commit our lives. It's the primary or the secondary thing by which we gear and steer our lives. Decisions that we make what job we take, what homes we do. Talk to children and ask them, what do you want to be when you grow up? And see if you think that maybe their answer has something to do with how much money they will make. Or at least it starts out as more innocent and before long we start evaluating our calling by our salary. Yeah, we want to consume, we want to acquire, and we want to buy our way to happiness and we want it now. Anybody with me? You can raise your hand. This is a place, a safe place we can confess together. The American dream has become a nightmare. The American dream is credited to two illnesses that I think we've all battled, or we're all battling, or we might all battle in the future. Affluenza is number one. Affluenza. This is an illness that convinces us we always need more and bigger and better, and we need it because somehow this image that we craft of ourselves, that we show other people, this is who I am, this is the best version that I am, here, I want you to see this, I don't want you to see some of the stuff I want to keep hidden, I want you to see the image, and so social media is the, is the perfect example, right, people posing for pictures to make their life look, you know, they'll even like purse their lips or stick their neck out or do these things that make them look a little different than they actually are. Or we use filters so that we don't look the actual age that we are. Amen? Because we want this image. Who's this image for? It's for us. We become consumed with trying to live up to the image. We used to call it keeping up with the Joneses. Now we just want more likes, right? We want more retweets. We want to look like we have it together. And money can, can bring you the facade that you do based on what kind of cars you drive, what kind of clothes you wear, etc. Now, most of us have been infected by affluenza. Uh, some facts. In 1973, the average home was 1,660 square feet. So you can think in your head, how many square feet is my house? And you can ask your spouse if you're not sure. Uh, you can ask you know, if you're not sure. Today... The average size is around 2,800 square feet. You think of the jump that we've experienced in a short amount of time. Now know, too, that families are getting smaller while houses get bigger. What are we doing with all this space? Look in your attic, and what do you see? Stuff. Stuff, yeah. Today, there is an estimated 2.3 billion square feet of self-storage units. So our bigger houses aren't even enough space for our stuff, so now we buy storage units. It's like enough for, uh, I think, like 10 or 12 square feet per person of any age in the country. There's some storage space on top of the attic and the basement and the closet that you don't want anyone to ever look in. If you ask someone, how much did this cost you? 
Maybe it's a vehicle or, or a new phone. And you ask, how much did it cost? Almost the first thing out of people's mouths will be, I got a great deal. I got a great deal. Because that validates their purchase, right? They look smart now, having spent X amount of dollars on this because they got a good deal. Deals are the thing that I think reveal our affluenza. We go everywhere and they're offering deals, right? Everywhere we go, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to pick on Kohl's, and I like Kohl's. But Kohl's is genius at working with our affluenza to get us to come to their store. You go to Kohl's, and they, you get your stuff, and you notice that the price tag says 30% off, right? It's already marked down. You're getting a good deal. You get up to the front, and they say, you know, you could save 15% if you just opened a Kohl's charge card, right, on this one. And then for every other purchase, you earn 5%. And you're like, oh, that's a great deal. And they say, you can just pay what you're going to pay for this. Just pay it later. Pay it tonight. Because that's what we do. We don't just leave it on there and go, oh, I can keep this money and spend it on something else because I got the stuff on my card. And then they start sending you mailings for 15, 20, or 30% off. And then you go and you buy. And then they say, here's Kohl's cash. Come back in two weeks and you're going to get free stuff. And then you come back and everything's on sale. And you're thinking, I have got this figured out. I know how to get all my stuff at great deals. I once heard a couple standing in front of us in line and... You know what the, the cashier does, right? At the end of your purchase, they're trained. Take a red pen and circle at the bottom and say, today you saved X amount of dollars. Well, this couple had saved $280. They'd spent $250. And so one turns to the other and says, we made money by coming here today. <laughs> and I said, well done, Coles. You know how to work with affluenza. Yeah. And before you laugh, how many of you have a grocery store membership? Right. And why is that? So you can save money. Really? Is stuff really ever full price? Does the card really earn you much? Maybe a little bit. But really, I think what it's doing is just charging visitors more money because they don't have a membership. And you have that card, you're going to go back to that store because you're going to save money with your card, and on and on it goes. Got a good deal. Credititis. All right, this is an illness that's brought on by the opportunity to buy now and pay later. So Kohl's works with that too. I'm, I like Kohl's. I'm not trying to demonize Kohl's. It works, right? So credititis, they used to do this strange thing. You carried around this green stuff, and you said, I want this, and they said, well, it's this much green stuff, and you say, here it is, end of transaction. That was a long time ago. I hear stories about it. <laughs> then they came along with this thing called layaway, where if you didn't have enough green stuff, you could put it aside, the store would hold it, and then you make payments as you got more green stuff. And then when you finished paying for it, they said, here are your items. Imagine that. You, you paid for it before you got it. And then someone said, I think we can do this better. I think we can give them something that lets them get it now, and they can pay later. And then we'll make a little extra money on the side, right? Get some little interest. And then someone else came along and said, you know, that person has a high credit card debt. Why don't we give them a credit card and they can transfer their balance and then we can hold, you know, and on and on it goes. Anybody with me? Yeah. Unfortunately, credititis has exploited our lack of self-discipline and has helped us pursue what has become the American nightmare. The average credit card debt in America in 1990, less than 20 years ago, no, less than 30, I'm older than I think, less than 30 years ago was around $3,000 per 
household. Now, that includes people that charge for the month and then pay it off. So it's zero for them. So the number was a little higher. Today, it's between 6,000 and 9,000, depending on, depending on who you ask. So it's increased either two or three times in the last 30 years. And in fact, the last five years, that number has jumped from 850 million to 1.04 billion, a 21% increase in five years of the total amount of debt in America. Five years, 21%. And it's not going to slow down. The average sale, when you go to whatever store with a credit card, if you have plastic, you're likely to spend 125% more than if you had some of the green stuff. They know what they're doing. Credititis is not limited to just purchases of credit cards. How many of you are got a mortgage? How many of you have a car loan? Right? And you got it for so many months, right? It used to be 15 years, and then it jumped to 30 years for a home, and now it goes up to 40. They, they were doing 50 years about 10, 15 years ago, but then we had that whole market crash, the housing market crash, and now you don't really find the 50 year anymore, but the 40 year, because you want to be paying on your house for 40 years. You know why they do it? Same reason that you pay for your car for more than four years, which used to be the average, three to four. Today, you can get your car financed for seven years from some lenders. And I used to sell cars. I'm going to apologize right now. I sold cars for three months, and I knew I had to be a different person to do that successfully at that particular dealership, okay? There are good ways to do it. There are bad ways. I chose a bad dealership. And they trained us. So you'd come in and say, I've got $20,000, I want to buy a car. You found a car that's $19,999. And I would say, well, how much can you afford to pay per month? I don't, I don't know, $400? Oh, okay, well, let's look at this $30,000 car. You can, you can afford that. We can just, we can extend it out to 60 months, 72, and then you can have the car you really want. Yeah, I didn't like that job. <laughs> I wasn't very good at it either. Didn't make much money. But, uh, the idea of, let's push it out 72 months, 84 months. Let's get you the most that you can afford. And then you become a slave to the person you're indebted to. And the reason you become a slave is then something pops up, an opportunity that you have. Maybe to give to something, maybe to, to take a special trip you weren't planning on, but you can't because you owe $500 a month to this place and $600 to that place and $1,400 to that place and suddenly... You feel like you're chained, and you are. Now, this problem, okay, I've given you all the good news, right? You came to church, you hear the good news. Okay, there is good news. The good news is this problem is not about affluenza and credititis. It's not about the vendors. It's about us and our hearts. It's a spiritual matter. It's a deep matter within our own understanding of ourself and God. Our souls were created not for the image that we want, what was created in the image of God. And the whole idea behind that is that we reflect Godness, God-likeness. We aren't gods. That's, I think that's where people get confused. Rather, who is God? Well, opening in Genesis, we know God is, creates good things. Creates good things and gives. God is a giver and a creator. We are to be givers and creators who participate in what we were created to be images of God, female and male, but we've been distorted. What do we reflect? Creating and giving or consuming and acquiring? Do we find our security in God 
in God we trust, or are we finding our security in something or someone else? Ourselves. We were meant to love people, not compete with them. We were meant to love the Joneses, not keep up with them. We were meant to enjoy the simple pleasures of life. But we busy ourselves with the pursuit, not of happiness, but of money and things. We were meant to be generous and share with those in needs, but we hoard our resources because we have a lot of debt and we're scared of what might happen if we don't have a big enough nest egg. I, I get it. We have an inclination toward this alternate way, this distorted image. And it's called sin, the word for it, being distorted. The devil, whether you understand the devil as, a, as the thing within you that resists God, if you understand the devil as a personified being, however you understand the devil, you all know the power within you that tells you and draws you away from what God wants you to be. Jesus said that the thief comes only, only to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus came that we have life, and not only have it, but have it abundantly. So what the devil does is you're living your life on 100% devoted to God, and the devil says, well, you can do some things for yourself. Or you can do some things that are exactly what God, 98% toward God. That's really good. That's an A+. Plus. Right? You're going to get a scholarship if you get 98% in high school and college. 98%, just give 98% to God. 2% will pursue some of these other things. And then maybe a little later, how about 95%? That's only 3% below what it was. It's still pretty good. And you do that. And before we know it, we're where we don't want to be. So Matthew 4, verses 8 through 10, Jesus is explaining the parable of the seed sower. Some of the seed is being spread, some of it takes, and some of it doesn't for different reasons. And, and he says, the devil brought, or I'm sorry, as the seed fell among the thorny plants, these are the ones that go about their lives and are choked by the concerns, riches, and pleasures of life. And their fruit never matures. That seed had the every opportunity, but instead was choked and finds no fruitfulness. And then he says, but the seed that fell on good soil are those who hear the word and commit themselves to it with a good and upright heart. Through their resolve, they bear fruit. Do you bear fruit by your own accord or do you bear fruit by God's? We know the answer. But sometimes we get choked on the things that we want. We've been there. You are there. There is hope. We know that Jesus was tempted and Jesus dealt with some of the things that we deal with. He was tempted in the desert. The devil brought him to a very high mountain and showed him all the world and all the kingdoms and power and said, it can all be yours. All you got to do is bow down and serve me. Jesus said, go away because it's written, I will serve God alone. I will not have anything in my soil other than what God puts that's good in my soil because Jesus came here to bear fruit and bear it abundantly for us and to invite us into that, that whole way of life as well. So we need the change of heart if we're going to find ourselves satisfied with enough. Although we receive the changed heart when we accept Christ, in a sense, we need a heart change every single morning. Every single morning. I would invite you to every morning, first thing you do is pray, Lord, help me to be the person you want me to be today. Take away all the desires that don't belong in my life. Amen. Simple as that. 
And then before you leave your house, Lord, let me be who you want me to be. Take away my selfish desires. And when you get to work or you sit at a meal, help me be who you want me to be. Take away my selfish desires. When you get home, when you go to bed, recite this prayer and watch the invitation for God to be a part of every single day change your life, the way that you think about it. And when you see the word deal, right, today only, you step back and say, what would God want me to do? Today only. Will you even want it tomorrow? Would you even have wanted it if they didn't put today only? Chances are, studies tell us you wouldn't. We have to stay aware and awake, and we have to invite God into that process. We must allow Christ to work within us. When we seek the kingdom first, the kingdom way of life, I'm not talking about after you die. Jesus almost never talked about anything after you die. Jesus talks about the kingdom here and now that's coming into this world, that's crashing into this earth, into the lives of you and the people around you that you're invited to participate now. If you seek the kingdom first and strive to do the will of God, you will find life. And as we do that, we will begin to sense a higher calling to our life to be created in the image of God, to be creators and givers. We begin to look at ways that we can make a difference with our time because we haven't committed it to make sure we can pay off past debts. We can actually commit it to the things that God lays before us now. We're not going to be distracted or held back by the bad decisions of the past. By pursuing good practices with our resources, we free ourselves to be used by God. So a key part of finding this financial and spiritual freedom is found in simplicity and this very anti-American thing, exercising restraint. With the help of God, we can, one, simplify our lives, silence the voices that draw us away and tell us what a good deal we could get. We live counterculturally, which means we live below our means. You know how much the average American savings account had last year? Percentage of income, negative 1.5%. Think about that. Number three, we can build into our budgets the money to buy with the green stuff rather than credit. And number four, we can build into our budgets doing the work of God, giving and creating. I'd like to ask you to pray and to sit with your hands on your lap and just sit nice and comfortable. Close your eyes, take some breaths. I'm going to offer a prayer, and I ask you to pray it under your breath, bit by bit, with me. Change my heart, O oh God. Clean me out inside. Make me new. Heal my desires. Help me to hold my possessions loosely. Help me to love you. Teach me simplicity. Teach me generosity. Help me have joy. I offer my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.